0: You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. And it
1: goes down to earth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform.
2: I'm smoke pot and I like it a lot.
1: The Russ Bellville Show. The voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana gotta be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Bellville. Good day, tokers and
3: tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Tuesday, March 14th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode number 907. And coming up on today's show, in the news, the Colorado House passes bills to cap home grows and to finance cops to bust folks who grow too much cannabis. In our Cannabis Focus... What's really inside your cannabis vape cartridge? In Drug War Data Mining, we take a look at the U.S. Sentencing Commission's 2016 report released today. In news Chronicles, we replay a 2015 interview with the CEO of Medical Marijuana, Inc., Stu Titus. And in the Radical Rant, I review the DEA's latest reiteration that hemp-derived CBD oil is illegal under federal law. Then in hour two, we take a look at the ditch weed the government is growing versus real marijuana. But first, let's get to the cannabis headline news.
1: Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in four minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is
3: your cannabis headline news for Tuesday, March 14th, 2017. In a bid to crack down on drug trafficking, the Colorado House on Monday voted to put new limits on homegrown marijuana that would dramatically reduce the number of plants people can legally grow in residential areas. The bill would impose a blanket 16 plant per home limit, whether the pot's grown for medical or recreational purposes. That represents a significant reduction from the current cap, which goes as high as 99 plants for medical marijuana patients and caregivers, a limit that law enforcement officials say has been exploited by large-scale international crime organizations. Licensed caregivers could still grow more than 16 plants under the bill, but they would have to grow the excess number in areas zoned for large-scale commercial grows. It also would allow local governments to impose further restrictions by ordinance, something many already do. Denver, for instance, has a 12-plant limit. Also on Monday, the House gave preliminary approval to a companion measure, House Bill 1221, which would create a $6 million-a-year grant program to help local law enforcement crack down on illegal grows. A Colorado grow supply business is paying a federal fine because of its pesticide packaging. Grow Depot, a hydroponics and indoor gardening store in North Glen, was cited and fined by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency for allegedly repacking and selling unlabeled pesticides, the agency announced Monday. It's the first time the EPA has penalized a Colorado grow shop for unlabeled pesticides, officials say. Grow Depot agreed to pay a $27,500 penalty and stop the sale of unregistered pesticides as part of the settlement agreement. In May 2016, a Colorado Department of Agriculture official conducting a pesticide inspection found that Grow Depot employees had poured registered, brand-name pesticides from their labeled bottles into unmarked, smaller, half-ounce and one-ounce dropper bottles, according to the settlement. Arkansas Senate has again rejected an effort to ban smoking medical marijuana after opponents said the move undermines a voter-approved initiative that legalized marijuana for p- people with certain ailments. The Senate voted 15 to 11 Monday against the proposal to change the constitutional amendment that voters approved in November legalizing medical marijuana to ban its smoking. The measure needs at least 24 votes to advance to the state house. The vote marks the second time the smoking ban failed before the Senate. The measure is among several restrictions lawmakers are considering to marijuana. The state is set to begin accepting applications for dispensaries in July under the amendment. A motion to allow the bill to come back again later failed on an 11-0 to vote. Marijuana advocates spent millions of dollars to put a legal marijuana law in place in Massachusetts last year and indicated Monday they are willing to spend more to protect the law approved by almost 1.8 million voters. Beacon Hill leaders have made clear they intend to change the law, parts of which took effect in December. The rest, delayed six months by the House, Senate, and Governor and the committee in charge of making alterations to it is scheduled to hold its first hearing Monday. Jim Borgasani, the communications director for the successful Yes on 4 campaign, who now works with the Marijuana Policy Project, said the advocacy group is prepared to spend money in Massachusetts to make the case that legislative changes violate the voter-approved law. Changes being considered by the legislature include increasing the marijuana tax rate, reducing the adult home grow allowance, capping the number of marijuana licenses, and setting an upper THC potency limit. Mark and Jody Emery have been ordered to cease operating their cannabis culture dispensary business after they were arrested Wednesday at Pearson Airport while on their way to catch a flight to Barcelona. Jody Emery said Saturday in a phone call from Toronto. The following day, police in Toronto, Hamilton, Ontario, and Vancouver executed 11 search warrants. They were released on bail Friday afternoon with conditions that require Mark and Jody to stay and live in Ontario though Jody may visit their home in Vancouver with city and court permission, she said. They have been banned from entering any cannabis culture location or office, including the B.C. Marijuana Party and Cannabis Culture Magazine headquarters in Vancouver, British Columbia, and Mark Emery can't speak with staff or deal with business operations in any way, according to Jody Emery. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Tuesday, March 14, 2017. I'm Russ Belville.
1: In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belville Show presents
3: the anti-drug public service announcement of the day.
2: Hey, you ever thought about taking drugs? I never really thought about it. Think hard. The first hit's free, but you find me when you need more. The choice is yours.
0: What do you think? Nah, just just not with the time.
1: A message from concerned children's advertisers. This has
3: been the Rust Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Exclusively on RadicalRust.com. You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs. Lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs. We've got Frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herbage Designs. We've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at herbagedesigns.com and follow Herbage and Herb Thrasher on Twitter.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabet since 2012. Tokers, there's no good reason
3: to get your dog stoned. While it might not harm them physically, imagine being a dog who already begs for treats all day. And then imagine that dog having the munchies.
1: Not cool. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today
3: in the Cannabis Focus, we're taking a look at what's inside your vape cartridge. There's a great story up on MaryJane.com. That's M-E-R-R-Y, Jane.com, entitled, What's Really Inside Your Cannabis Vape Cartridge? And this is something that's uh, very interesting as I read through the uh, article. One of the things they found is that the sale of these vape cartridges has really become a big market share for the distributors of cannabis all throughout the legal states. In California, the delivery service Ease has found that in one year, they saw a 400% increase Uh, in their sales of vape cartridges. They were just 6% of total sales back when they began in 2015. And that rose to 24% of their total sales last year. So, um, and I'm trying to adjust the volume. I know people are complaining here. If I take this off though, we start to get a lot of uh, clipping. So uh, I will try to keep that from clipping, but there, let's see if that helps the volume issue people are talking about a little bit. Uh, We don't want to be too loud here on the live show, but there we go. Let's see if that helps. All right, where was I? Um, Oh, yes. uh, So when it comes to the vaporizer cartridges, one of the things that we have to worry about is that the cannabis oils that are placed in these cartridges aren't as viscous as the the nicotine uh, formulations that they make for vaporizer pens. So they have an additive in these, uh, vape cartridges that helps to, uh, reduce the viscosity and allow it to create nice white puffs of, uh, vapor. So the typical sorts of, uh, uh, additives that they're putting in here can include things like polyethylene glycol. Uh, this may be abbreviated As P E G polyethylene glycol and polyethylene glycol can be contaminated with ethylene oxide, which according to the Mary Jane article says the international agency for research on cancer classifies as a carcinogen. It can also harm the nervous system and is classified as a developmental toxicant by the California Environmental Protection Agency. So polyethylene glycol is one. Another possible uh, item in the uh, cannabis vape cartridges can be propylene glycol, PG, rather than PEG. Now, this is a common household solvent that's also used in deodorant sticks, hand sanitizers, cigar humidors, and smoke machines. In adverse reactions, Mary Jane writes, a consumer can experience sore throat, muscle pain, or strong-smelling urine. So those are both a problem. Either of these glycols is kind of a problem. So there is a company called Puffco. They're a load your own vaporizer company. And they spoke to the CEO, Roger Volodarsky. And Volodarsky says, quote, instead of using propylene glycol, there was a shift to start using terpenes. Uh, But the problem with terpenes included in cartridges is that few companies get them from cannabis. The rest are just buying terpenes that you get off Amazon as a cleaning solution, like the citrus terpene solvent D-limonene, end quote. So that's got to be problematic, getting uh, terpenes from other uh, sources. But as long as it's not the uh, glycols, I would have to say that's at least some bit of improvement. Uh, The other consideration that we have is the actual elements that are burning Inside of these uh, uh, vape cartridges, the uh, Doug Hitman from Hitman Glass says, quote, there's no regulation on actual vape cartridges. They have plastic burning and other shit outside the hash that's inside them. The cartridges themselves can be hazardous, end quote. And according to uh, Hitman at the Happy Place Festival that he runs, uh, this is a New Year's festival they do. He says that 80% of the vape pens tested for pesticides failed. And the reason why he says is, quote, to make a vape cartridge, you use a much lower grade hash oil. You would take the bottom of the barrel shit and put it in the vape pens because there's a misconception that vapes clean up bad material. He calls what they use in these crude oil and, quote, it's the shit that people wouldn't sell as hash oil by itself. End quote. And uh, this is problematic, of course. This is uh, the idea that they're going to take the high-quality stuff, and since they can get more profit off that, selling it as a direct oil or selling it as a shatter or whatever else they want to make from it, that's where they're going to send the good stuff. And then all the bad stuff, well, let's just use that and put that in vape cartridges and try to make some money off of what we have left. Uh, so this, it's very difficult to know which of these vape cartridge manufacturers are using best practices to be able to uh, produce these products. There was a recent investigation into this and uh, NBC Los Angeles reported on it and found that they took 44 products of cannabis oil and tested them for 16 different pesticides at Steep Hill Labs in Berkeley. And the lab found out of the 44 products, 41 tested positive for pesticides at high enough quantities that certain states which regulate pesticides and cannabis products would ban them. Now, there was no failing levels in California because at the time there were no regulations. The uh, city of Berkeley has a cap on pesticides at 100 parts per billion, far stricter than the statewide regulations in Oregon or Colorado, which have multi-hundred part per billion caps on individual pesticides applied to cannabis. They also bring up the point that the pesticides, if you find it in the raw material, it's going to get concentrated when you make the concentrates. And the disturbing part here is in the manufacturing process, the concentrations of pesticides will be at a greater rate or greater ratio than the concentration of THC. They say, for example, this is in the Mary Jane piece, a cannabinoid like THC might concentrate fourfold, but a pesticide could concentrate 20-fold. So you'd be better off just smoking the raw flour that's got the pesticide on it than smoking the concentrate that ends up becoming five times more damaging to you once it's concentrated by you know doing the math on that ratio. There's just not a ton of transparency in the vaporizer processes right now, says Aaron Justice, the CEO of LA-based Buds and Roses Dispensary. Now there's uh, regulations that should be made in California uh, coming in 2018 to regulate this in- uh, this industry, and California is going to run into the same roadblock that we've run into here in Oregon when it comes to testing on pesticides. And I'm kind of, you know, there's there's a lot of room in this for people to understand uh, or, or to to recognize there's a there's a there's a big Variants here that we need to recognize when we discuss this issue, because on the one hand, nobody wants to have to take into their body harmful substances that could be deleterious to their health, especially when we're talking about the medical cannabis side of things and patients with compromised immune systems and so forth. Those people of frail health. On the other hand, ever since marijuana has been cultivated, bought and sold on the underground market, we consumers have never known what we were getting. We've never known if what we were getting was a bag of marijuana that had pesticides sprayed on it or not. We weren't taking it to labs to test it. And yet we smoked that marijuana for years and decades. Some of us, we've smoked that marijuana, which may or may not have pesticides on it and probably does in many instances. So the problem that you run into, and this is what Oregon faced, is you have a consumer base that believes their product is safe already. In addition to, you know, the typical marijuana is safer than alcohol uh, idea and the idea that marijuana is a pretty benign sort of uh, substance to be ingesting. But beyond that, the idea that we've been smoking this marijuana all this time and we never tested it for pesticides or contaminants before. And none of us died of it or had serious health problems from it. Or maybe we just don't recognize serious health problems that were linked to the pesticides in the marijuana. But that's another discussion. So you have a, cust- a consumer base that's not used to having testing going on and doesn't feel there's a need for it because they are unaware that these things are going into their body. And then you put together these testing regulations that the uh, producers have to meet, the sellers have to meet, that causes a backlog and causes a great rise in the price. And then the consumers of cannabis, you can't get the strains they want because they're out of them at uh, at the dispensary because of this backlog for testing, just go back to the original illicit markets that they were dealing with in the first place putting too much regulation on pesticide testing and getting too serious about it is going to help the underground market as people return back to those sources that they never thought were that dangerous in the first place. But you can't move forward with a commercial marijuana market without testing for pesticides and without keeping tainted products off the shelf because the minute someone does have a bad reaction from one of those... From a legal source that becomes a black eye against all of legalization as it gives our opponents this ammunition that we're putting these harmful products on the shelf for for uh, consumption by people who may be comprised in their health. So it's a fine line that California is going to have to walk and I hope they do a better job than Oregon did. encourage y'all to check out that piece at MaryJane.com. That's M-E-R-R-Y-Jane.com. That's Snoop Dogg's outlet, so uh, some good information happening there. Also, I want to give you a heads up, coming up for hour two, we're going to be getting into more marijuana stories. And those of you who've been listening on the podcast, you may not realize that we've got a second hour, but you can only get it right now live on RadicalRust.com or... For one day only at my YouTube page, youtube.com slash radical because the raw file is up there the whole two hours before I get around to editing to get down to one. So check that out, or just stay tuned on the live show, and listen to our hour two. Oh, gnarly! All right, that sound means it is time for us to take our union-mandated safety briefing everybody make your way to the smoking area it's 420 in denver colorado happy 420 to everybody in the rocky mountain zone we'll be back right after this with some drug war data mining on federal drug sentencing
1: You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show. Drugs are
3: menacing our society. They're threatening our values and undercutting our institutions.
1: They're killing our children. Okay, maybe you're high, too.
3: Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs.
1: Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining.
3: In the Drug War Data Mines today, we take a look at the latest report from the U.S. Sentencing Commission. The Department of Justice report has come out talking about the sentencing for federal crimes that would include federal drug crimes, and the headline is that the number of people sentenced for federal marijuana-related crimes dropped for the fifth year in a row, according to the data that was released this week by the U.S. Sentencing Commission. That's great news. Very happy about that. A total of 3,534 offenders received sentences for federal marijuana crimes in 2016. 3,500 for federal marijuana crimes. The overwhelming majority of these cases, 3,398 of them, Involved trafficking marijuana. Another 122 got federal sentences for simple possession. Although those could be cases that were pleaded down from more serious federal charges. In fact, uh, over the past five years, one of my friends is one of those people that has a federal sentence for simple possession of marijuana. That's Chris Goldstein, who uh, just wouldn't stop smoking joints uh, at at the Liberty Bell in protest of Prohibition. So he's a federal criminal. And 97%, according to the statistics that were released this week by the U.S. Sentencing Commission, 97% of the people charged with a federal crime plead guilty rather than go to trial. 97%. That's how much the, the use of plea bargaining goes on, and that's why we see so many of these federal charges that get added on to every particular case, so they have more bargaining chips. The data, according to U.S. Sentencing Commissioning, Commission, show a sharp drop in the number of federal marijuana sentences the year after marijuana became legal in Colorado and Washington. And since it's become legal in Colorado and Washington, the federal marijuana uh, sentences have dropped every single year. Now, part of this has to do with the Obama uh, department of justice under uh, Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch back in Holder's reign during 2013, he issued some memos to the federal prosecutors to give them some leeway in ignoring certain marijuana offenses. This is, of course, the uh, Cole memo and the Wilkinson memo that were released. Also, there was some guidance for uh, the federal prosecutors, the U.S. attorneys, not to write down the amount of drugs in a federal drug case so as to avoid tripping mandatory minimum sentences. Now, of course, as we talk about the 3,500 or so people prosecuted under federal law for marijuana, that, of course, is just a small fraction of the people who are prosecuted. More than half a million people were arrested for marijuana-related crimes at the state and local level. Those are numbers that have been decreasing year by year since marijuana was legalized in 2012 and further legalized in 2014. Now that four more states have joined us in legalizing marijuana, the state and local numbers for arrests should continue to decline. The federal sentences for heroin have doubled over the past 10 years. Uh, That reflects a lot of this uh, opioid epidemic that we're dealing with. Over 2,800 people were sentenced for uh, federal heroin crimes. But uh, according to the estimates here, it's a lot easier to smuggle heroin (laughs) than it is to smuggle marijuana. Uh, On a per gram basis, according to Christopher Ingraham writing at the Washington Post, heroin is 26 times more valuable than marijuana. This would be based on federal stats from 2012. So, yeah, it's a lot easier to smuggle a small amount of heroin that's 26 times more valuable than the same amount of marijuana. It's also harder to detect. It's uh, harder to, uh, you know, root out. Through drug dogs, it doesn't smell as strongly as marijuana does and so forth. Also, keep in mind that these federal uh, U.S. attorneys have a lot of discretion in who they're going to charge, which cases they're going to pursue and so forth. And all of these U.S. attorneys were just recently, well, 46 of them were recently fired by Donald J. Trump. All of the remaining holdovers from the Obama administration. Given the way Trump is talking about being tough on crime and eradicating the menace of drugs, and given that he selected Jeff Sessions, a hardened drug warrior, as his attorney general, we can only guess what sort of U.S. attorneys are going to get appointed in these places and what sort of discretion they will have when it comes to going after these offenses. We've already heard from Attorney General Sessions his uh, disdain for the previous administration relenting on mandatory minimum sentencing and not going after as many uh, hard drug offense categories as they could. I believe that as we move forward, we're going to see an offensive from this department of justice at the local level by these U S attorneys going after anybody they can and throwing the book at them as they do. So this would uh, fit with the whole war on drugs ethic that Jeff Sessions so embraces. He looks back at the 1980s and the just say no era fondly and believes that really worked to stop drugs and crime. And we've got president Trump who's also riling up his base into fear, fearing the immigrants, fearing the Muslims, fearing the terrorists, fearing loss of their jobs. That fear can also be amplified into the fear of the unknown and fear that relaxed laws on marijuana are leading to this opioid epidemic. It's a lot to consider. The Sentencing Commission report is available. The write-ups on the Washington Post right now. We're going to take a short pause, and when we come back, I've got a replay of a Cannabis Miss Chronicles interview from 2015 with the CEO of Medical Marijuana Inc., Stu Titus. That'll lead us into the radical rant on the DEA making it perfectly clear that that hemp derived CBD oil is illegal. We'll be right back after this.
1: This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
3: New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at
1: fingerboardextension.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Bellville Show.
2: Victory over drugs is
1: our cause, a just cause. All right, maybe you're high, too.
0: It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com.
3: Twain once said that when there's a gold rush, it's a good time to be in the pick and shovel business. Today we look at the rapidly evolving markets in the marijuana green rush in our Cannabis Business Chronicles. Back in 2015, I had the opportunity to interview Stu Titus. He's the CEO of Medical Marijuana Inc, and they are one of the many companies that are producing hemp oil or CBD oil or their products called Real Scientific Hemp Oil. Based on the idea that hemp oil is legal in all 50 states, we'll talk about that in the rant. Last week, I received a press release that caught my attention, telling me that there was a $100 million lawsuit filed by Medical Marijuana, Inc. over a special report by Project CBD. And uh, that caught my attention because, of course, I've heard of Medical Marijuana, Inc. and the business they're doing. And uh, I know folks that have put together Project CBD. So I wanted to find out what's going on with that. Apparently, there has been a settlement and joining us here to discuss it is the CEO of Medical Marijuana, Inc., Stuart Titus. Stuart, welcome to the show. With you oh doing fantastic i'm so glad i was able to get you on the line and just so folks know i've also reached out to the the uh, people at project cbd to get one of their representatives to speak to us but uh as of uh as of showtime didn't get any response back so uh we'll just go with you Stuart, and we'll uh tell the story how's that,
2: that
3: sounds fine to me okay so uh I need to find out what's going on with this particular lawsuit. And I think what this had to do with was a test result on a product. You guys have real scientific hemp oil known as R S H O. Can you tell us what that real scientific hemp oil is?
2: Uh, Yes. Our R S H O product is a a nutraceutical product uh, that uh, is based off of uh, the industrial hemp plant. It's uh, high concentration of uh, CBD uh, in the uh, hemp oil. And uh, it's a product that we have available for uh, public sale. And and in
3: your phrasing of that, I noticed you say a nutraceutical and you reference the hemp plant rather than cannabis or marijuana. So is it the point that this is made from industrial hemp, which is, you know, subject to less regulation than schedule one cannabis might be?
2: Uh, yes, this is from uh, industrial hemp that we uh, grow from our overseas operations, and uh thus it's uh legal for importation and the sale in all fifty states okay
3: so this has been uh the subject of some controversy, but that's not what our discussion's about. Some people you know think that this idea that you can get medically viable uh products out of industrial hemp is you know there's still a lot of questions about that but let's let's table that for a moment and instead talk about this controversy in this suit which was uh the folks at Project CBD uh which is a you know a lot of uh activists uh, and 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 medical marijuana people put together Project CBD and have been warning people against uh these industrial hemp products and specifically they had a report that they issued Uh, and I forget the title of the report, but it was a special report that supposedly said that your uh, products were laden with toxic heavy metals. Can you walk us through what happened in this suit?
2: Well, uh, obviously there's still ongoing litigation, so there's uh, only so much I can comment about. Okay, Uh, But we did uh, receive a um, a settlement agreement from uh, Stewart Environmental, uh, which is a company that did uh, some of the testing on this particular product. And uh, I think you'll find that uh, when you you listen to their testimony or read their um, uh, transcript from the uh, video that uh, the reports uh, that Project CBD was putting out were uh, I I would characterize them as blatantly false. Blatantly false. And uh, this was based on
3: if I was if I remember what I was reading from the uh, the settlement in the suit, uh, what I what I saw that was emailed to me had to do with the fact that, that what was reported by this Stewart Environmental Lab was preliminary or a draft of some sort that then got taken by Project CBD and, and, and blasted as if it were the fact. Is, is, am I
2: close there? Well, there's uh, what's called a preliminary report. Apparently, I'm not, not as familiar with uh, analytical laboratory analysis, but uh, uh, as the uh, uh, environmental, Stewart Environmental Company has said, They uh, did an initial test, uh, which basically is supposed to show a significant amount of heavy metals because they do introduce heavy metal into that test. And then they do a second uh, test, which they then remove all the heavy metal toxins and search for extracts uh, that uh, still may be remaining. Uh, Again, I'm not as uh, familiar with this. It's a fairly detailed analysis. However, the preliminary report where they introduced all these heavy metals uh, was actually then produced and somehow got into the hands of Project CBD. Um, I believe the company uh, came back uh, very shortly thereafter and said this is a preliminary report, we'll have a final report for you in the very short order. The final report came back and showed that the sample was free and clear of uh, toxins and the heavy metals however uh, Project CBD is, uh, well, you know, facts will uh, come out. But uh, unfortunately, it, it just seems they have uh, uh, you know, uh, made their uh, comments uh, based on a uh, very preliminary and totally incorrect report. So
3: so the settlement uh, that we're talking about at this point comes from the lab they base their report on, not from the folks at Project CBD.
2: Well, uh, <clears throat> let me try to clarify this again. Project CBD put out a report uh, that basically uh, mentioned that our product was uh, very toxic. Um, I believe in the final analysis, the laboratory that did that report called Stewart Environmental uh, mentioned that our product is uh, free and clear of toxins and was uh, uh, free and clear of toxins, I guess is what okay. I can say. Okay. Okay.
3: So you mentioned that there's still ongoing litigation. Would that be with uh, project CBD over this particular report? Uh, that's correct, okay, And so that's where we start talking about uh, I guess the things like harm to the business reputation and and false claims and and is that what we're dealing with in this suit?
2: Well, certainly, uh, our company, our product, and our shareholders have been harmed by the uh, inaccuracies, and uh, mm-hmm. well, the controversy within the industry is obviously never a a good thing. And, um, we hope to be able to you know, resolve this, uh, very expeditiously. Okay.
3: Let's go back to the, uh, the, the oil itself, real scientific hemp oil and the idea that we can get medically efficacious compounds out of what's known as industrial hemp. Now, uh, typically de- the definitions industrial hemp worldwide are that can- those cannabis plants that contain less than 0.3% THC. Is that, is that what your stock is that you're working with?
2: Uh, yes, that's uh, pretty much the uh, international uh, standard. Uh, some countries, it's 0.2, uh, but uh, generally 0.3 is what's uh, uh, being established. Looks like that's being established here with some of the uh, legislation in the United States. Mm-hmm.
3: So, so it seemed to me that uh, what you're getting for the real scientific hemp oil then would be mostly, you know, CBD and other cannabinoid-based, rather
2: than the THC. Uh, that's correct. Yes. Okay, and and so
3: it's your company's contention that there's no difference in the CBD that you'd get out of an industrial hemp plant versus what, say, the uh, Stanley Brothers in Colorado were getting out of those Charlotte's Web type plants that that were initially thought to be cannabis plants, regular pot plants, but they had such low THC, but they weren't industrial hemp uh, that they could only use them for CBD. Is is basically, I guess, what I'm saying, is CBD CBD no matter which type of plant it's coming from?
2: Well, I think that question might be better answered by the scientific community uh, certainly uh, we believe there's uh, uh, some uh, uh, potential health and wellness benefits from uh, CBD from the industrial hemp plant I think there's a tremendous amount of scientific research going on right at the moment on CBD uh, you can uh, look up a, a number of different things uh, one of our portfolio companies can life sciences is uh, researching uh, pharmaceutical potential of uh, CBD so um, They've had the ability to use the U.S. government's patent on the therapeutic use of cannabinoids, known as the 507 patent. So just looking that up, I think you'll see that Uh, there's some uh, potential medical benefit from uh, uh, cannabinoids in general and particularly in cbd sure sure
3: uh folks who listen to the show are well aware of patent number 6630507 you know the federal government says hey there's a medical utility here from this drug that we say has no medical utility Uh, we're speaking with stuart titus he's the ceo of medical marijuana inc and another uh Another part of this uh, company and this industry that we're breaking into here is the fact that it's still federally illegal on so many levels and illegal in many state levels. And so far, the companies have all been pretty much on what we call the -the over-the-counter stocks, uh, the penny stocks. Is is that the situation with uh, Medical Marijuana Inc. still?
2: Uh, Yes, it is. Uh, We're uh, over-the-counter. Our stock symbol is uh, MJNA. Okay. Okay.
3: Okay. And, and, you know, this has been, it's a, it's a really, from what I, I gotta, I gotta say right off the top that I'm not a stock market guru in any way. I have no idea how that high finance stuff works, but the, I always hear warnings from people, be careful of the penny stocks, be careful of the penny stocks, especially in, in marijuana, since it's so new and the feds could do this or that. Uh, what's your take on this? I mean, I imagine you're very pro penny stock given that you're selling them, but, uh, what words of advice would you give people in this market?
2: Well, certainly it's a growing and emerging market. Uh, All the companies here uh, are pretty much in the developmental stage. Um, Certainly, uh, we'd like to believe uh, somewhere down the road, whether it's three, five, ten years, uh, this is going to be one of the great growth industries in America. Uh, I think there are uh, several companies that have the potential to be the next Apple computer or Google or what have you. And uh, it's just a question of uh, uh, companies being able to put forth a good business plan, being able to follow it, and then uh, have the uh, good fortune to have perhaps uh, some uh, legislation and all uh, come along uh, positively uh, forth. Uh, The nice thing about uh, our uh, operation is that we really don't uh, necessarily depend on legalization of marijuana. We have a a wonderful product uh, that's hemp-based, and it's uh, presently able to be sold in all uh, 50 U.S. states.
3: Okay. And are you currently selling this RSHO in all 50 states? Uh, It's
2: available uh, for consumers in all 50 states.
3: Wow. Okay. So uh, I guess you can look for that from Medical Marijuana, Inc. And you're not getting pushback from any states? Anyone's threatening anything under Controlled Substances Act here? Uh, No, we're not. Hmm. Wow. All right. Uh right. We'll have to take, take another look at this stuff, folks. Uh Medical Marijuana Inc. is the company. Stuart Titus is the CEO. We're speaking to him about the uh, recent suit that's going on. And we also have another representative joining us tomorrow at 3.30. We'll talk a little bit more about this situation. But before I let you go, Stuart, uh could you give folks some contact information for the company if they're interested in uh, talking to you guys, learning more or investing? How can they do that?
2: Oh, certainly. Our uh, website is uh, www.medicalmarijuanainc.com. Our uh, trading ticker symbol is MJNA. Uh, that's Mary Jane Needs Another. <laughs> and our um, investor relations number is 888 OTC MJNA. All right. Stuart, thank you so
3: much for joining us here on the Russ Bellvale Show. And uh, we'll keep our eye on what's happening with Medical Marijuana Inc.
2: Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Russ. Thank you for having us on. So that was my 2015 interview
3: with Stuart Titus from Medical Marijuana, Inc. And coming up next in the Radical Rant, we're going to get deep into the subject of hemp-derived CBD. There was a new clarification from the DEA today about this very subject that makes it even more clear. This stuff's illegal, folks. We're back right after this.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
3: When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, FiredUpLawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer. Or email
2: fireduplawyer
1: at gmail.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show.
2: What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel?
1: Okay. Maybe you're high too. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals.
0: <coughs>
1: or at least they pay me to say that.
0: Dude! Dude! Dude!
1: Dude! 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 A public service message from the Rust Belleville Show.
2: And public and public number one. Ten number federal one. criminal penalties for one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Say, legalization just say, is, just, say, just, is just, just another word for surrender. For surrender. I'm marijuana. This is not medicine. This is a cheat and charm. Encourage people to use, use less drugs. I admit. That was, that was the point. I think it would be a mistake I'm to leave Negative reports coming out of covering the
0: do smoke marijuana. Don't marijuana.
3: Enforcement Administration has issued a new clarification about the coating of marijuana extracts that rebuts the claims by sellers of hemp-derived CBD oil that their product is, quote, legal in all 50 states, end quote. CBD, or cannabidiol, is the second best known cannabinoid occurring in the cannabis plant. Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, is the best known, of course, as it's the cannabinoid that produces The psychoactive high from smoking marijuana. So the intentional obfuscation of the so-called legal CBD oil issue was born in the battles over industrial hemp. At the turn of this century, the DEA had attempted to classify basic hemp foodstuffs like hemp seed and hemp seed oil, and, and hemp body products like lotions and soaps as controlled substances Because they contain trace amounts of THC. The DEA's authority over drugs comes from the Controlled Substances Act, the CSA, which defines marijuana, and they actually use the H in the uh, spelling. That's the federal law that goes all the way back to the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. Uh, But they define marijuana like so. The term marijuana means all parts of the plant Cannabis Sativa L., whether growing or not, the seeds thereof, the resin extracted from any part of such plant, and every compound, manufacture, salt, derivative, mixture, or preparation of such plant, its seeds, or resin. Such term does not include the mature stalks of such plant, fiber produced from such stalks, oil or cake made from the seeds of such plant, or any other compound, manufacture, salt, derivative, mixture, or preparation of such mature stalks, except the resin extracted therefrom, fiber, oil, or cake, or the sterilized seed of such plant, which is incapable of germination. (laughs) Let me translate that. Marijuana is cannabis plants, whether they're growing or not. Marijuana seeds are marijuana. Resin that you get from anything on the cannabis plant is marijuana. Anything you make, manufacture, any salt, any derivative, any preparation, any extraction that you make from marijuana is marijuana. The only things that aren't marijuana are hemp stocks, the fiber from hemp stocks, oil or cake made from the seeds of hemp. So like hemp seed oil, hemp cake, hemp flour, that kind of stuff. And any other compound or salt or derivative or preparation or extract that you make from mature stalks, except the resin from mature stocks or anything you make from fiber, oil, or cake or sterilized seeds that are incapable of germination. So it's basically everything is marijuana except the stalks and the hemp seed oil and the hemp seed flour everything else is marijuana and it's banned. And as part of their control over marijuana, the DEA placed tetrahydrocannabinols, that'd be THC and the variants, THCA, V, the rest of them under the definition of hallucinogens. And that definition includes LSD, magic mushrooms, mescaline, peyote, and DMT. They're all banned as illegal, non-medicinal schedule one drugs. However, Cannabidiol is noticeably absent from the drug schedules. I mean it's a it's a non-psychoactive molecule, so it wasn't given much thought. But remember, in this definition, go back, every compound to manufacture salt derivative mixture or preparation of such plant it seeds or resin is part of marijuana, so cannabidiol comes from that, it's marijuana. Anything that comes from that, it's marijuana. So after some lengthy legal battles, the uh, hemp industries association vote hemp, these guys fought the DEA on this uh, hemp seed ban, hemp oil ban, and the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in 2004 that the DEA, quote, cannot regulate naturally occurring THC not contained within or derived from marijuana. Now, this is why Americans can legally import hemp cloth and hemp seed oil and hemp paste. This is why Americans can buy hemp soaps and hemp lotions and hemp foods at the grocery store. Even though they do contain trace amounts of THC, that THC didn't come from the resin of cannabis plants, so the DEA must allow it. The DEA had originally fought this, these ingestible hemp products, for the fear that would confound urine testing for illegal marijuana use. Hemp products, however, are made from cannabis plants testing at below 0.3% THC. They contain only minute amounts of THC, so low it's impossible to eat enough to fail a drug test. Well, all of this came to a head and and developed through the rise of medicinal CBD, medicinal cannabidiol. In this decade, Americans began to rediscover the medicinal benefits of CBD. CBD. Parents of autistic and epileptic children in the medical marijuana state started finding out that administering cannabis oil high in CBD to their kids had remarkable benefits. In 2013, Dr. Sanjay Gupta broke the story to the nation as a whole by illustrating the case of Charlotte Figi in Colorado. She was recovering from Dravet syndrome, that severe form of childhood epilepsy, through the use of CBD oil. And Dr. Gupta emphasized to his audience that CBD doesn't cause little Charlotte to experience a high. Well, now that CBD had emerged as a non-psychoactive miracle cure for sick children, there arose a huge demand across the country. In 2014, Utah passed a law that began a tidal wave of similar laws across 16 states in the Midwest and South, allowing for the use of non-psychoactive CBD oil for kids with seizure disorders. The problem with most of these laws is that they only provide safe harbor for someone who's acquired the CBD oil from out of state. Thus, parents in, say, Georgia, had to drive to Colorado to get the CBD oil, usually illegally because they wouldn't have time and money to relocate long enough to become residents to qualify for medical marijuana cards. And then they would have to break state and federal law by trafficking it back to Georgia. Some of these parents just moved to Colorado instead, leaving behind their families, their friends, their hometowns, their careers, just to help heal their sick kid. Now, also in 2014, Congress had passed the Farm Bill, which explicitly defined industrial hemp as any cannabis plant with, quote, a Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol concentration of not more than 0.3%, end quote. So states with industrial hemp laws could go forward with their programs, while states that ban hemp could still ban hemp. So this was the perfect storm that all led to entrepreneurs exploiting what they believed were big loopholes in federal laws that allowed them to produce and sell CBD oil legally in all 50 states. They started selling what they called hemp-derived CBD products. They argued that if the DEA cannot regulate naturally occurring THC in stocks and seeds, then they cannot regulate naturally occurring CBD in stocks and seeds either. Then in December of last year, the DEA published a new rule creating a tracking code for marijuana extracts. Now, Many media outlets reported this as the DEA making hemp-derived CBD illegal, but cannabis law experts pointed out it's always been illegal, and that the new code merely allows the DEA to better track different illegal marijuana products. Well, today, in this latest clarification, the DEA agrees with those experts, stating that, quote, the... New drug code is a subset of what has always been included in the Controlled Substance Act definition of marijuana. End quote. So again, anything that's extracted from what is legally considered marijuana, which is everything but the stocks, fiber, and oil or cake from the seeds of cannabis plants, is illegal. So okay. You can't get CBD from the flower, the leaves, but what about the stocks fiber oil or cake? One manufacturer, Medical Marijuana Inc., on their website, claims that's where they get their legal hemp-derived CBD oil. Reading from their site, the keywords here for us are mature stalks and oil or cake made from the seeds and sterilized seeds. Even though it's a mouthful, the government draws a clear line in the sand as to what parts of the plant, as to what parts of the plant, oh, interesting, okay. These not marijuana parts of hemp are the parts that we use to make our CBD hemp oil products. So, right there on their website, Medical Marijuana Inc. claims that their hemp CBD oil products are derived from stalks and seeds. They continue. Like many other hemp companies, we, too, import hemp oil from Europe. This hemp oil, naturally abundant in CBD, is what's at the core of all our brands and products. It's not an extract. It's not part of marijuana. It's a natural part of legal hemp oil, as inseparable from that oil as vitamin C is from orange juice. End quote. So, all right, they're saying they make their stuff... They're CBD hemp oil products from the not marijuana parts of hemp, the stalks and the seeds. It's the core of all the brands and it comes from Europe. The DEA on the other hand does not believe that such a legal product really exists. (laughs) Uh, According to the DEA, they say, I'm sorry, quote, according to the scientific literature, cannabinoids are not found in the parts of the cannabis plant that are excluded from the CSA definition of marijuana. Except for trace amounts, typically only parts per million, that may be found where small quantities of resin adhere to the surface of seeds and mature stalk. Thus, based on the scientific literature, it is not practical to produce extracts that contain more than trace amounts of cannabinoids using only the parts of the cannabis plant that are excluded from the CSA definition of marijuana, such as oil from the seeds. End quote. The DEA is basically saying that anybody who's manufactured CBD oil in any sort of quantity that would provide medical benefit had to have gotten it from flower and leaves because there isn't enough CBD in hemp stock or hemp seed that isn't resin that stuck to them. Even that resin bound CBD would require so much hemp that they wouldn't be able to produce a product for the price at which they're selling the CBD oil, which, by the way, is currently $175 a gram. On their website. Plus, there's an the additional problem with the CBD coming from the resin that's stuck to the seeds and the stalks. It falls under the CSA's defi- definition of marijuana. While a CSA does exempt the mature stalks of such plant, the fiber produced from such stalks, and all oil or cake made from the seeds of such plant, the Ninth Circuit's decision pointed out there's an exception to the exception. That part about the resin extracted from the stalks, which still remains illegal. Watch out for the CBD oil snakes, snake oil salesman. As far as the DEA is concerned, this stuff's illegal. We'll talk about what that means for purveyors of hemp oil and where the Farm Bill fits into all of this when we start off Hour 2. For you podcast listeners, thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, Tokers.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville show is blogging and podcasting daily at radicalrush.com. You take a scene, you
0: manage, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you's <laughs> gone. You take a scene, you manage, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke gone. You take a scene, you manage, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you's gone.